Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey, hey, hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, and it's time for another episode of the Brain Love Podcast. Um, first of all, let me apologize if you hear any background noise. I am traveling, as some of you may know, if you follow me on social media. Um, and so, you know, sometimes you're overseas and depending on what country you're in, the Wi-Fi may not be as ubiquitous as it is in some other places. Or um, if you do have it, it may not be as effective. So sometimes you got to shake and move and find a place. So that's what I did tonight for tonight's episode. Um, you know, I have some guests coming up soon, but um, last week and tonight, it's just me on the couch. Are you ready to take the couch, by the way? It's just me on the couch. Um, there are so many things happening around the world, around our nation, Um Things like there was another mass shooting. As you know, there was a mass shooting in in Nashville, Tennessee last week. And then um, recently, just over this weekend, there was a mass shooting in South Carolina on Senior Day. Now, what kids are thinking about shooting another person or another child and where are they getting a gun? Like, the United States has to do something about our gun laws. We have to do something. And people keep trying to intermingle gun laws as well as mental illness. And I'm pretty sure the mental illness part is just a distraction from the real issue, which the real issue are the gun laws. Because when you look around the world, certain rates of mental illness are the same in other countries and other continents as it is in the United States for things like depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. But the difference between the United States and other nations is the access to guns. Other countries and nations have not legalized the use or the ownership of certain types of weapons or guns they don't exist for people to purchase them in these other countries. And then if they do exist, they're not available on the black market. They're not available for people to buy them. And it's illegal to own them. In some countries, and a lot of countries actually, the only folks allowed to own a weapon or a gun are the police, our law enforcement. But you know, our nation was built on this premise of the right to bear arms. And that right to bear arms was during a time when, obviously, we know um, some folks came from Europe and came over to America, um, landed at Plymouth Rock, and so on and so forth. And so the right to bear arms was a way for, um, for these people who had escaped the king and the queen, who had escaped Europe, I believe it was escaped Britain, Um, I got to go back in my U.S. history. But anyhow, they escaped and they came to America for freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the right to bear arms so that they could protect themselves against certain intruders, certain intruders in the country. So this right to bear arms has now been something that has created gun ownership laws in a lot of states with a system that has become so convoluted and complicated to where it's no longer as straightforward as the right to bear arms. It's just like at one point in time, it was constitutional to own slaves. And as times change, so do your laws. You have to rewrite some things. You gotta make some amendments and some adjustments. And that's what we have to do with this right to bear arms. Maybe we have the right to bear arms, but we have the right to bear only certain arms. And AK-47 or these assault rifles may not be, or should not be in the category of the right to bear arms. And now in the state of Florida, we no longer need concealed weapons permits. That's my understanding. 
that that has been signed into law that a CWP is no longer necessary. And when you think about it, most of the people who commit crimes using weapons and guns, I should say guns, most of the people who commit crimes using guns are not legal carriers of guns. A lot of them are former felons who are not allowed to own a weapon ever again in their life because they're a former convicted felon. And some people don't even have a concealed weapons permit. So you actually make it harder for the more responsible people to acquire a gun or a weapon for their own protection than you do for the folks who break the law or who are what we call antisocial, meaning people who never follow rules, always breaking the law, criminals, basically. So I kind of understand in Florida getting rid of the concealed weapons permit. I kind of get it. Um, especially if you're going to allow people to tote and own, what's the point in requiring CWPs? Now, one person will say the, the point of owning or having to apply for a CWP is to prevent people who shouldn't own weapons or own guns from having a gun. And this is true. Case in point, um, people who have a mental health challenge or mental illness if they have done something with a gun or threatened something with a gun, a psychiatrist can actually petition the courts to have their rights to own a gun removed. So this can affect their ability to have a CWP when it did exist and also affect uh, their right to purchase a gun. So I'm not going to get into it too heavy tonight about this gun control thing or lack of gun control, but there are also... Um, other laws too. There's something called a red flag law. And um, 18 of our states and Washington, D.C., so 19 entities in the country have adopted this red flag law. The first state to do it was Connecticut. So look it up. Google red flag law. Um, I'm going to write an article about it and post it on my blog on my website, which is drdelvinahelp.com. The doctor is abbreviated DR, then Delvina, D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A, help, H-E-L-P.com. But look up red flag laws. Um, potentially, maybe that's one way we can address the situation with gun laws or the lack of control over gun ownership and the use of guns in our communities against innocent people. Another way would be to ban certain weapons. These weapons that are able to, that people can use to kill multiple people at one time. There should not be any use of these type of weapons in our communities. Uh, I know people say, well, you can buy it on black market, but that's not what's, what has happened. With a lot of these mass shooters, they go into regular gun stores and buy these assault rifles and these assault weapons. That's how they're getting them. They're not getting them on black market. So it's just something to think about. And coming soon, I will also discuss, well, how can you recognize a potential shooter? That's important. How do you recognize a potential shooter? Because you want to know what the signs appear to be, what the signs look like, so that way you can run for it. <laughs> if a situation feels unsafe. But anytime you're somewhere, if you start to feel unsafe or your stomach gets upset or you just feel like something ain't right, get out of there. Change what you're doing. Just just get out of there. So guys, I'm not going to go into the gun ownership stuff. I'm not going to go into signs of a potential shooter. Not tonight. Um, once I post the article, then I'll, I'll do that. I'll talk about signs of potential shooters um, once I post, once I do that. Um, tonight, I want to talk a little bit about stress and the effects of stress on the body, on your brain. Um, there's a lot you can do to reduce stress and how it impacts your life. So let's talk about that. So some of you may know by now that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. June is Men's Health Awareness Month. July is Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. And then September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. So this is April. We are going into May. I'm always talking about mental health stuff. Um, tonight I'm talking about stress. Um, it's something that everyone experiences. 
everyone experiences stress. Stress can affect you physically, and it sure can affect you mentally. Stress happens when you're introduced to a challenge or a demand in life. This results in some tension. It could be physical and or emotional tension. And um, what stress does, it gets your body ready for a reaction. Now, some stress is considered, quote, good stress, close quote. Um, there's also the, the stress that comes on right away and, and goes away immediately after the threat is gone. That's the protective type, type stress. And then there's ongoing, long-standing stress, which is also known as chronic stress. And so it's that chronic stress that can really wear you out mentally and also affect your body in so many negative ways. We all experience stress. And it can be harmful to all of us, but it's how you manage your stress, how you try to prevent stress, and um, ways you can do to offset the effects of stress. These are the things that matter, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. So we know when we're in danger, our brain sends a trigger. Um, it sends signals chemically and um, physiologically through the nerves. And it lets the body know that we're in danger so the body can prepare it. Oh, I'll say prepare it for war. So it sends a signal and it affects some glands. And these glands cause a release of certain hormones. These are hormones like cortisol and adrenaline, which I'm sure you've heard of adrenaline. You've heard someone say, oh, I just had an adrenaline rush. But it releases cortisol. It releases adrenaline. And it gets us ready so that we can protect ourselves. It makes us more alert. It raises our blood pressure. Our blood sugar goes up. Our breathing uh, increases. Our heart rate goes up. That heart rate going up. Um, also, your muscle tension. Your muscles become more tense because you're, you're sending more blood to the muscles to get them ready. And you sweat. You know, we know when we sweat, this is a way to kind of regulate the body's temperature. So we do these things to get us ready in the moment. So when um, stress comes on acutely, like I mentioned a few moments ago, it comes on rather fast and it goes away quickly as well. As soon as the source of the stress has resolved or the situation is over, it goes away. And acute stress is what we call this. It's generally good because it protects you and it helps you to accomplish certain things and to get things done. Now, Chronic stress, as I mentioned, is that long-standing, ongoing stress that occurs for weeks or even longer. So sometimes when people are having certain difficulties that they feel like they cannot address or will never be able to do anything about, this can cause you to have what we call chronic stress. These are things like financial issues, maybe a relationship problem with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or wife or a situation with one of your children. This can lead to ongoing chronic stress. There is no danger, but the body is staying alert and it's in a reactive state. This, my friend, is what leads to mental and physical symptoms. So easily, let's go to the first thing. Um, man, so for women, you know, I have a lot of women who listen to the podcast so if you're stressed, stress can cause hair loss. That's one of the things it can do to you. After a stressful time in your life, you can experience hair loss. It could be your mother is sick, your father is sick, you have a child who's sick. But having stress for days, several days and weeks and months at a time can result in you, in you losing your hair. And, you know, it can take anywhere from a few months to up to a year for your hair to grow back and to achieve its normal volume. So stress can lead to hair loss. So sometimes someone will say, I'm losing my hair. Do you think it's my medication? Well, it could be medication too, but more than likely if the person's under a lot of stress and they've been on that medication already for some time, it's not something new then more than likely the hair loss is from, is from stress. Another common manifestation of stress are gastrointestinal problems, your guts. 
GI upset. So stress can do things. And when I say stress, I also mean also a little bit of anxiety as well. Because um, you've heard me talk about anxiety a lot. But stress and anxiety sort of kind of go hand in hand. Stress, of course, is caused by something different than what anxiety is caused by. But stress can lead to anxiety. Because anxiety basically is um, a manifestation of the not knowing or the fear of something bad happening. Um, so stress or anxiety, and oftentimes they're, they're bundled together. When you have stress, more than likely you have anxiety. Now, this, the opposite is not true. When you have anxiety, you may not necessarily have stress, especially defined the way that I defined it earlier in this podcast. So when you have stress, more than likely you have anxiety as well. And stress and or anxiety can affect your GI system in numerous ways, such as causing diarrhea, giving you indigestion or heartburn or upset stomach, reducing your appetite, causing you to feel nauseated, worsening or initiating or creating ulcers in the stomach, stomach cramping, constipation, I think I said diarrhea already, and there are certain ailments that can be created from ongoing stress, things like IBS, irritable bowel syndrome. So IBS is characterized by pain and bouts of constipation and diarrhea, and this is fueled by stress. So if you're not hearing it yet, stress is a very serious thing. It affects our, men our mental health, it affects our physical health. There's so many things it can do to us that can lead to um, developing chronic medical issues and even death. Sometimes you hear about someone who died who seemed to be healthy. They didn't have this. They didn't have that. But they were undergoing a lot of stress. Stress can affect your heart. Your initial response to stress in terms of your heart, your cardiovascular response, is a change in heart rate. Your heart rate goes up. So depending on what part of your system is activated, more than likely your heart is going to increase. Sometimes it'll decrease, but more than likely it's going to raise your blood pressure. And what this does, it constricts the blood vessels. So continued stress raises your blood pressure because of constricting the blood vessels. When we get stress, our blood vessels constrict or narrow so the blood is not easily flowing through. Now, mind you, blood is flowing to all parts of our body at all times of the day. If not, we're dying. You know, you're killing your tissue if you're not getting blood flow. If you're not getting blood flow to the kidneys the way that you need to, you can develop kidney disease, which may have to be resolved with the use of dialysis. If you're not getting blood flow to the heart the way you need to, eventually over time your heart tissue dies and you can have what we call a myocardial infarction, also known as a heart attack. When you're not getting blood flow to the brain consistently because of these blood vessels being constricted, remember I said stress constricts the blood vessels. So when the blood vessels are constricted, blood is not getting through and tissue can die. So when it's not getting through to the brain, you can cause things like um, cognitive dysfunction over time. Over time, it increases your risk of developing what's called vascular dementia. Dementia is, uh, I, I spoke on it last week, it's a, a memory impairment illness caused by changes in the brain. So these constriction, the constriction of the vessels prevents the blood from flowing through. So when the blood can't get through easily, it raises the blood pressure because it takes much more force to push that blood through those constricted or narrowed vessels to get through. So that is how people develop elevated blood pressure. So when you have elevated blood pressure and constriction of these blood vessels, it raises your risk of developing high blood pressure, also known as in the medical field, hypertension, as well as developing high cholesterol, and as I mentioned, heart attacks. So people who are stressed because of work, which is about 10 to 40% of people who are employed, they experience work-related stress. 33% of these people also experience severe chronic, chronic stress. That's ongoing stress on a day-to-day day day -day basis, pardon me. 
and these people are more likely to develop to develop heart disease. Isn't that sad? Isn't that just sad? Because of having a high stress job or working in a toxic environment or being in a high stress environment, you're at risk, a higher risk of developing a heart attack or experiencing a stroke than someone who has a low stress job. So that's why it's very important to do what you love. It's important to, if you're not happy wherever you work or in your field, it's important to get out of there and not force yourself to stay. Find a job somewhere else that's lower stress, that makes you happy, that's not in a toxic environment. If you work in a toxic environment, sometimes people will say, well, I don't have a choice. But you have a choice. We convince ourselves oftentimes that we don't have a choice, but you have a choice. And sometimes a choice means that you have to make adjustments and you have to do things differently. Like maybe you have to change your budget so you're spending less. Maybe you have to move. Maybe you have to downsize your car, but you're doing these things to make you happy, less stressed. And that's the goal of making these types of changes. High stress jobs are things, um, are jobs that are psychologically demanding. The mental load is higher. Um, the multitasking may be a huge burden. Time pressure, time points are a burden. Last week, I played a video from this Indian guy who said, if you have, um, I'm paraphrasing, but if you have, um, if you have, if you have, um, if there's expectations at work, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm paraphrasing now. Um, if you have a deadline, fuck it. He said, fuck the deadline. If you have a deadline, fuck your deadline. And although this can be true because time pressure can lead to stress, you also don't want to sabotage or compromise your job. So you should work in a way to try to stay ahead. So having these deadlines are not considered hazardous to you or not demanding to you. They're just deadlines. You know that you're going to meet it. You have to do what you need to do to meet the deadline. And that's that. But if you don't do a good job with having deadlines, then you may want to find a job where you don't have deadlines. So people can also have stress on a job when they have less control of their job and how hard and how hard they are expected to work. So that can also create stress. And, you know, I'm just going to interject in there that this is why it's so important in my office, the way that we balance our stress is we don't see patients on Fridays. We don't see office patients on Fridays. There are times when we see them in the hospital or in one of our facilities, but office patients, we don't make appointments on Fridays. This gives the clinicians a break and it also gives the administrative staff a break. We also take all holidays off. So Columbus Day, President's Day, we are closed and we close for so that we can have our, our mental our mental health break, but also because insurance companies typically are closed on federal holidays. So if it's a national or federal holiday, insurance companies will be closed as well. So what's the point in being in the office? We take insurance. We're self-paid too, but we take insurance. So if the if, if the insurance company, such as Medicare or one of these private insurance entities, is closed, we can't get the information we need. So what do you think that does to my administrative staff? It makes stress for them because they can't reach anyone to get the information they need to verify a person's plan. Then what does that do to the patient? It makes the patient feel stressed because they can't get their plan verified. And it makes them feel like, uh-oh, now I'm not going to get seen. I've been waiting two weeks for this appointment or for a month for this appointment, and now I can't get seen. So it creates stress for everyone. So this is why we are closed on all national holidays. We are closed on Fridays in terms of clinical work, but the administration is there on Fridays. So this is how I try to offset stress. Now, just know when you have stress, it can, like I told you, it can increase your risk of heart disease, heart attacks, having a stroke as well. And if you are someone who does not engage in certain behaviors to offset the effects of the stress, such as if you don't work out on a regular basis, if you don't train physically on a regular basis, if you're not active physically on a regular basis, if you overeat a lot, 
If you smoke cigarettes, if you have an unhealthy diet, these things contribute to heart disease as well. So if you add this to the stress, if you add this to the stress, then you're increasing your risk of developing heart disease, AKA a heart attack, even more than before. So chronic stress can affect you by increasing your blood pressure, which can lead to an increased rate of risk of heart disease, a heart attack or a stroke. So to try to, if you have a stressful job and you can't leave your stressful job yet, you got to do some things to offset that stress. You got to eat less salt. So that way you're not eating a lot of salt. A lot of salt can contribute to increasing blood pressure. You have to eat less saturated fat and eat more healthy fats like um, avocado oil, grapeseed oil, um, olive oil. Those are healthier. You have to eat more fruits and vegetables, whole grains, lean meats, not eat a lot of dairy or have low-fat dairy products. You got to stop smoking. If you smoke cigarettes, you got to watch your alcohol intake and drink a lot of water. So you want to offset your stress. Now, I want to, before I finish um, or go into the next part of this uh, discussion on stress, I want you to hear something about fruits and vegetables. Okay, I want to talk to you about eating fruits and vegetables. So you guys know how I like to give you some just little updates and give you information intel regarding our health. I want to talk briefly about how to choose a healthy snack. So there's no recommendation on how many snacks to eat in a day. It really depends on the diet that you create for yourself. Um, sometimes I'll see people have a late morning snack, so they have an early breakfast, whether that's a smoothie or some fruit. Then they have um, a late morning snack, and then they have lunch. But there's no standard for that. In general, just know that snacks should be smaller than a meal, and they should not be high in sugar and saturated fat and sodium. They should be nutrient-rich and, if possible, contain some helpful, healthy stuff like, you know, fiber, and um, you want stuff that has some protein maybe, depending as well as vitamins and minerals. So, you know, an example of a healthy snack would be some berries. I love raspberries, blackberries, blueberries. Um, some people love strawberries. So you could have a cup of strawberries with a hard boiled egg uh, that gets you some vitamin C, some potassium, some protein, and a little bit of fat, which can help keep you energized and satisfied. It's amazing, but, um, Almost 30%, one-third of our daily calories in America come from snacks. But oftentimes, these are not healthy snacks. These are snacks that are high in calories and low in nutrients, things like potato chips, cookies, muffins, cake, sweet drinks. And the bad part about this stuff is it doesn't curb your appetite. It still leaves you feeling hungry. And sometimes people will grab more of these unhealthy snacks. You know, they get more and more and more. So studies show that snacking on whole foods, foods that provide protein, fiber, and whole grains are better at improving satisfaction and diet quality. So I wanted to give you um, a list of 10 healthy, satisfying snacks to help curb your appetite so that you don't overindulge and eat the bad stuff. Um, I mentioned berries already. Berries are a good source for vitamins and nutrients, but you can mix that with a little bit of yogurt. Now, sidebar regarding the yogurt, you got to try to reduce your dairy because dairy can be high in certain fats, of course. Um, I'm not big on cow milk anymore. I'm not big on dairy. So I'll choose yogurt that's made from like oat milk. They have yogurt that's made from oat milk. They have yogurt that's made from cashew milk. Um, Yogurt can be a good source of protein, calcium, and potassium, and they provide probiotics. So if you're eating yogurt, regular yogurt, it'll be good for your gut health because of the lactobacillus and also helps with uh, the ladies with their their vagina, the, the environment of their vagina. Um, and as I said, berries are high in vitamins and minerals and are great for antioxidants and fiber. There's a unique thing about combining yogurt and berries. They have a synergistic effect on your health. 
That's what the study showed. The two offer great health benefits, one combined, then one eaten alone. Although you heard me say in a previous episode that I'll eat the hell out of some berries and I'll eat the hell out of some berries by themselves. Um, But synergistically combined, they can reduce weight gain, lower your risk of developing blood sugar, high blood sugar, which is diabetes, lower your heart disease, your risk for heart disease, and improve gut health. So um, other healthy options would be popcorn and nuts. Someone probably is saying popcorn is not healthy for you. It can be, especially if you get the butter salt-free popcorn. It's a great snack because it has fiber. And um, you also get a larger portion with a few calories. So you can eat a lot of popcorn and it contains few calories. You can eat three to four cups, again, with no butter or no added butter, for the same amount of calories as 15 potato chips. So if you have to choose between potato chips and popcorn or nuts, choose the nuts. If you don't have the nuts, choose the popcorn. All right, so that's, that's better for you. Also, you can have the popcorn and combine it with healthy nuts, things like almonds, pistachios, walnuts, hazelnuts, pumpkin seeds, sunflower seeds. Those are all great snacks to have. There's also fruit, of course. You heard me talk about fruit on previous episodes. Um, And there's things like beans, like chickpeas. And, you know, you can buy, it's kind of like potato chips. You can buy chickpeas in a bag, roasted chickpeas and eat them. You can buy... Um, beans, roasted beans as well. They are good snacks. Some of them have some sea salt and they are tasty. Of course, there's whole grain crackers and cheese, but of course the cheese you may want to be easy on um, for the the reason, the dairy reason, unless of course it's vegan cheese. Um, Just like you can have fruit, you can also have vegetables, excuse me, can't talk, Combine vegetables with hummus. I love me some hummus, man. Hummus with carrots or hummus with celery sticks or sliced cucumber. Um, Hummus is a very filling snack and it has healthy fat. Has some carbs and protein, so it helps to ward off hunger. Um, Speaking of combining fruit or vegetables with a cream, you can do apples with peanut butter. You can also have cereal in the morning as a snack. Cereal, whole grain cereal, that is, not the sugary stuff, but whole grain cereal with oat milk and some fruit is packed with healthy carbs, protein, and fiber. The fruit that you can add to the cereal has a lot of vitamins and minerals, like I've already spoken about. A lot of whole grain cereals are packed with vitamins B and C and magnesium. Um, And although cereal is known to be highly processed, it really depends on the one you choose. You can choose healthy cereal, and that's one that's low in added sugars, high in dietary fiber. You see whole wheat or oats in the ingredients, or you see 100% whole grain on the package. So these are just a few of the healthy snacks you can have. You can also have whole grain toast with avocado. Yum, yum, yum. So delicious. I mentioned a hard-boiled egg before. You can have some cherry tomatoes. So there's options, man, for healthy snacks. Just plan ahead before you go to the grocery store. Make a list so that you get the healthy stuff. Don't go to the grocery store hungry either. We all know that's a bad look. That's a bad look. Hey, guys, it's Dr. Delvina, and I just wanted to tell you about the ways to follow me. So if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know what platform you're on, but I'm on all of the podcast platforms, Google, Apple, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and you can also follow me on my social media for those of you who found me through your podcast platform and not on social media. Some people have been following me on Instagram or Facebook, and that's how they learned about the podcast. But for those of you who learned about my podcast first, please feel free to follow me on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, I'm Dr. Delvina. The doctor is abbreviated as DR, and there's no period. So it's DR Delvina, which is spelled D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. 
And let's see, I have a website. I mentioned before that the website was under construction, but the website is up and good to go. It is Dr. Delvina Help. So again, the DR is abbreviated DR, D as in Delta, E L, V as in Victor, E N A, Help, H E L P as in Papa.com, Dr. Delvina Help.com. So please go to my website, take a look, peruse the site, and see what's going on there. And uh, I'm also, let's see, where else am I? I'm in SoundCloud as well, but I'm not as active on SoundCloud as I am with my um, with my podcast. You know, this podcast has been up since May 2020 during the pandemic, and um, I just love talking about the brain and helping to educate people about their mental health and wellness. So please spread the word, tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a loved one, tell a significant other, tell your ex. If there's something I've t- I touched on that really that you identify with and you want to share it with someone, share it, please. So you just heard me talk about healthy snacks. Um, that is one of the ways you can help offset stress as well as to promote health and wellness in your life, to help you lead a healthier life. But there's other ways that you can reduce stress in your life. You can reduce stress in your life by identifying what causes you stress and work on ways to manage it. So this means being intentional in your life about what you're doing. Being intentional, taking the bull by the horns and managing your life. Do you know a lot of people do not like to do this? A lot of people do not like to take charge of their life. And what I mean by that, it's hard for some people to confront the things in their life that makes things uncomfortable, that creates stress for them. Because oftentimes for many of us, that stress is created by other people. And it's created by other people because we allow them to conduct themselves in those types of behaviors and ways. So we give them the green light to do what they do. People only do to you what you let them. My mother used to always tell me that people will only do to you what you let them. So you have to stop allowing people to use and abuse you. You got to learn how to say no. You have to say no and mean no. Don't allow someone to use reverse psychology on you to make you feel bad about saying no. And then somehow they've convinced you to say yes, because that yes for them It makes whatever it is they're doing easier. It makes their life easier, but it makes your life harder. So when you put yourself first, oftentimes, for me, it helps me to say no. Because when people ask me for money, I say to them, well, so who do I ask for money when I need money? If I'm always giving you money, then what do I do when I need money? Can I come to you for $20,000 or $10,000 or $5,000 or $3,200? Can I come to you for that? And if the answer is no, then I can't help you with whatever it is you need help with. You have to come up with a different solution that does not include me giving you money. So we have to work on solutions to manage our stress. And sometimes managing the stress, like I said, means saying no. It means setting limits for family and friends. It may mean taking time off from work. And so, um, you know, we get people who come to the office, new patients who want to take time off from work because they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by their job. They feel stressful on their job. And some of the time it's just they no longer like the job and they want to find another job. And sometimes I have to tell them, look, find another job. This job is not for you. This is why it's creating so much stress for you. You're not a good multitasker or You're not good in management. You need to take some classes in leadership first, get a different job, or ask if there's another position available. But you can't keep banging into work, taking time off from work when you know that this is not the position or the job for you. So I'll talk about that another time, but there are certain rules um, which govern getting a time off note for your job from your doctor. Um, There's something called FMLA, Family Medical Leave Act, that protects your job if you take time off. And also sometimes people will have disability, short-term disability and long-term disability insurance that they can use 
for their job when they miss time so that they still get paid. I think disability will pay you, depending on what plan you have, it pays you about 70% of what you would normally make. Depends on your plan. So taking time off from work sometimes can help because maybe it's a job that you love, but it's just a stressful job and that's the nature of the beast. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. It just means that you have a stressful job. So you should take vacations. And sometimes those vacations may not mean you're leaving and going somewhere. It just may mean you're doing a vacation from work, but a staycation. You're staying home and you're not going out of the country or you're not traveling somewhere. Because, of course, we know vacations that require travel can be stressful as well. Sometimes you spend more time with your family and loved ones, your significant, significant other, part of me, or your friends. That can help. And I'll get into all the other ways, too, to help relieve stress or to, to balance stress and to help you cope better. But first, I want to go back to talking about other ways that stress can, can affect us physically. Um, I mentioned that stress can inc increase your, your blood sugar. Stress can also cause headaches. Stress can cause migraines or what we call tension headaches. Um, tension headaches are the most common type of headache. They typically feel like there's a band around your head. They typically feel like there's a band around your head and someone keeps tightening and tightening and tightening and tightening it. It can happen in the head, can feel this type of headache in your scalp or your neck area. I mentioned earlier that stress makes your muscles more tense because that's like that fight or flight response to get you ready to jump, to get you ready for action. But when you're having chronic ongoing stress, you still get that muscle tension, however, it doesn't stop. It's not relieved because the stress that you're experiencing is not an acute stress. So this can make the headache even worse. Now, of course, you can treat headaches with medication, but you really want to find out what's causing you to have the stress. We want to try to get away from medications, right, and do things um, from a more um, health and wellness point of view, from a, an alternative point of view, from a prevention point of view. So... You can do things like changing your diet and your lifestyle, you know, doing some training, getting some exercise and getting fresh air, getting out in the sun, eating healthier to offset that stress. And you can also use relaxation and stress management to help these headaches. Now, not only will this stuff help the headaches, but it'll also address your overall stress. You can do things like acupuncture, um, go and get massages if you have a high stress job. Um, you can also use ice or hot packs on your on your scalp or your head or your neck if you're having tension there or a headache. So there are things you can do. Now, I mentioned that stress can affect your, your appetite. It can reduce your appetite when it's upsetting, when stress is upsetting your, your GI system and stomach. But stress can also increase your appetite. So if you have chronic stress or stress over a long period of time, remember I said you produce a hormone called cortisol. Cortisol increases your appetite and it, and it, it, it um, increases your appetite in a way that leads you to consume foods high in sugar and fat. Here's the other important thing to know about elevated cortisol that makes you eat more and especially eating things high in sugar and fat. When you feel your stress is high and you connect food to positive emotions or food to feeling better, you might actually create a pattern of eating more than you would if you weren't under stress or making unhealthy food choices. So this is what we call stress or emotional eating and this is how it's created. Because you're under stress, you release cortisol, that cortisol tempts you to eat things high in sugar and fat so you do that regularly, this pretty much trains your brain or your mind to believe that you feel better when you're eating unhealthy foods to deal with your stress. And this is what creates stress or emotional eating. So the key here is to know your triggers on what's causing you to feel stress. And the other key is to stock up on healthy snacks. Those are the things that I, I talked about and that last, before we went on break, those are the things I spoke about eating healthy snacks, your fruits, your veggies, 
eating healthy snacks, having well-balanced diets. So having snacks that are high in protein and healthy fat, not the unhealthy fat, and avoiding snacks that are high in, you know, saturated fat and sugar. And of course, I've already mentioned exercise. So because we are almost out of time, I don't want to hold you too long. I want to mention one other manifestation of stress. Another huge manifestation of stress is insomnia. The inability to sleep, whether it's falling asleep or staying asleep, this is commonly from stress. We know that stress can cause hyperarousal, which is a state of basically not feeling sleepy. If you have chronic stress, or again, stress over time, over several days and weeks, stress can keep you hyper-aroused, and then you don't have the desire to fall asleep, or you're not ever in a, a state of feeling like you can induce sleep. Now, long-term exposure to chronic stress can disrupt sleep and can cause sleep disorders. So you want to focus on your sleep hygiene. You want to do the things to offset the changes that stress can cause in your sleep. So you know how I spoke about offsetting the stress and the effects it can have on your heart and your body by eating healthy, by training and exercising. You can offset the negative outcomes of stress on your sleep hygiene by doing things like avoiding large meals right before bed, not drinking beverages right before bed, because of course you'll have to wake up during the night to pee pee, avoiding heavy amounts of alcohol, alcoholic beverages, pardon me, avoiding caffeine late in the day. I usually tell people not to drink any caffeine after 11 or 12 o'clock if they have issues sleeping at night. Also, not being distracted at night when you're trying to sleep. Turn off all the lights, have blackout curtains, turn off your television. We know that TVs emit blue light, blue light like our phones do and our tablets and our iPads and all this stuff. So don't have any of these types of things in your face, in front of your eyes. And if you have a bedroom partner and they have to sleep with the television on. Hopefully you can get them to train themselves so they can undo that habit. But if not, or in the process of them untraining um, themselves so they no longer have the need to use the TV, you can wear an eye mask. You may have to wear two, but to block out, um, you're wearing those masks to block out the blue light. You're wearing them over your eyes. Um, also trying to keep a consistent bed routine going to bed at the same time each night and waking up at the same time every day. So try not to do the whole, I'm sleeping in today because it's the weekend. So you sleep in Saturday, Sunday, and then when Sunday night rolls around, you're not tired because you've been sleeping in Saturday and Sunday. So you can't fall asleep Sunday night, which is probably the most important night to get your rest because Monday is usually a manic Monday for a lot of people. So on the weekends, you want to go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time. Some people will say, well, what about dinner and hanging out and partying? Okay, you can do those things, but still wake up at the same time in the morning. You may not feel like it, but wake up anyway. Make yourself get out of bed. Um, you can take a nap during the day, but get out of bed. The other thing with a good sleep hygiene is you keep your room cold. I keep my room freezing cold. My thermostat in our house on the second floor is on 69 or 68 every night every night so 69 or 68 because having a cool room having a cold room enhances it helps to um, enhance your sleep you can fall asleep more easier so these are some of the recommendations I have for you with regard to stress. Of course, you can do other things to address stress and just to be healthier in life. Things like yoga, stretching, um, being around positive people, getting out, doing healthy activities, keeping your brain engaged, you know, going to museums, reading a good book, um, as I mentioned before, regular exercise, training routines, if you love the sun, maybe going out for a hike, going walking every day. Um, there's so many things you can do to reduce your stress. 
um, watching what you eat. You can also work on your time management skills because for some people, their stress comes from poor time management. They don't prioritize. They don't know what should get done first and which task should wait. So if you get better at that, that'll help as well because you will be able to prioritize and make a schedule for yourself that effectively address all of your needs, whether it's personal or your work stuff or your family stuff. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, We're talking about stress tonight, or I spoke about stress tonight. First, of course, we talked a little bit about gun control. Um, Have a great week. Please implement some of these strategies that I mentioned to you. Um, Make it easier for yourself. Do some healthy preventative type stuff. And coming up soon, I have some great interviews with some great guests who will be taking the couch with me. Again, I was on vacation last Sunday and also tonight still. I'll be back soon. But um, being on vacation, you got me completely on the couch these two Sunday nights. Hey. All right, guys. Everybody have a great week. Think healthy, think positively, smile, laugh, enjoy life, and always remember, brain love. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. Reframe. Reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations, limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership, own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours, it's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication, don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.